Hi everyone, Crystal here. This is one of my most favorite discussions. It is an oldie, but it's been one of the most popular ones that I wanted to repost as we are gearing up for the next season and interviewing guests. I want to repost this. It's so important. I think it's because many people in their journey of reconnecting with their culture, embracing their heritage, finding out what it means to be proud to be Panay, there's this hunger to go back in our history and understand who the Filipino woman was without all the different narratives and identities built for us, the roles imposed on us. You know, before colonizers came and stripped the Filipina of her power, her dignity, her agency, her name. There's this fascination I'm seeing around who were we before the colonizers came in our indigenous days. That's something I want to be focusing in on more, having more discussions about the indigenous Filipino woman. There's something so empowering, I think, about finding about who were we in the tribal pre-colonial sense. So Gabe's here, a good friend of mine who used to live in Washington state and is now living in the motherland of the Philippines. She does so much amazing work and education as an artist, an educator, a mental health professional, as an organizer, as an activist, um, not just in the United States, but now in the Philippines. And follow her on Instagram. You will learn so much about decolonization, about the Filipino experience through a critical lens, our history. So I hope you enjoy this, and we have our new guests coming starting next week. We'll kick off with Nicole Paniagua, who is a former actress turned farmer florist environmentalist. She was a former actress you might have seen on Disney Channel, on ABC Family, and CW shows. After that, we have Gio, also in the entertainment industry. She is an actor and award-winning filmmaker. And then Monica Ramil, after that, who's a mental health therapist for Filipino women. Oh my gosh, y'all, such a good discussion there. I cannot wait. And so everyone, I would love your help and partnership in helping keep this podcast going. If this show has meant anything special to you, has had any impact, I would love your monthly financial support by being a Patreon member and pledging simply $3, $10, or $20 a month. I love making this podcast and it does take resources. So this financial support will go towards our editors, our equipment, all the marketing and pushes that go behind it. If financial supporting is an ability for you right now, you can also leave a five-star written review on Apple. This helps the show so much in getting discovered or getting sponsors and better guests. I will read your review and shout you out on the show and I just love reading them truly. So thank you, thank you so much. Link in the show notes to be a monthly financial supporter. You do get special goodies and discounts for any merch or events coming up. Lastly, we are having so much fun in the Filipino Soul Sisterhood. Hang out with me and other journeying Filipinas every Thursday. It's an online global community of Filipino women who are building each other up, reconnecting with their heritage. We are building sisterhood. We're having access and mentorship to top Filipina leaders and professionals. This is the way we rise, y'all, by getting pulled up, by building each other, by being in community, by relating on experiences only we know, by learning how to decolonize, by having critical, vulnerable discussions about the Filipina experience by supporting one another in our projects, our passions, our struggles, our endeavors. This is what's happening at the Filipina Soul Sisterhood. We just had a session yesterday and Gio Espiritu, who is a Hollywood actress, filmmaker, and screenwriter, award-winning. She was our special guest and she talked about breaking biases and how she did it in 
Hollywood and what does it mean for us to be rewriting scripts, breaking biases and the roles we're in with so much good takeaways and we hold space for vulnerable questions and discussions with each other. I love, love this community. You are not meant to journey alone as a Filipina rising. You are meant to have sisterhood. And if you just want to see what it's all about, just come join us for the next month. People say it's their time of the week where they unplug, where the walls come down, where you can have self-care and be in a sacred, safe space of beautiful brown faces in the magic of other Pinais. And when you join, you get special membership discounts and pricing on things like upcoming city Filipina events and our merch store. And yeah, so link is in the show notes to join. I hope to see you on the next Thursday one. Without further ado, here's the episode with Gabe's Taurus. We have spent so much time thinking about how much space we're taking up, but really we're not taking up enough and there's enough room in the table. It's just mm. a matter of like knowing your innate dignity, unchangeable mm. worth, that you can sit on that table and are worthy to enjoy that meal. Welcome to the Filipina on the Rise podcast, where I spotlight Filipina powerhouses, meaning Filipino women doing big things and making an impact. I'm your host, Crystal Fabella, and I aim to promote Panay excellence, highlight Filipino culture in modern day successes, and celebrate what it means to be a Filipina. Today, we're talking to Gabes Torres. Gabes is a researcher, artist, theologian, speaker, and psychotherapist in training. Her life's work is to demonstrate how there's nothing post about post-colonialism. Currently, she's working on her second master's in counseling psychology at the Seattle School. Gabes writes poetry and music and puts on stunning live performances of her repertoire and has toured in Southeast Asia, Chicago, San Francisco, and Seattle. This discussion with her is so eye-opening and powerful. We learn about Gabes' work and mission of decolonization, and she takes us through the history of the Philippines from before colonization, what the Filipina and womanhood was like before oppression, and at the end, you'll feel empowered to start the reclaiming process for yourself in your own beautiful way. Here we go. I'm so excited for this talk. So let's just start at the first question I usually open up with yeah. is, in your words, who is Gabe's Torres? Oh my gosh. And what yes. is your mission? Oh, damn. My mission is to start the revolution within, because that's definitely going to inform the one outside. Part oh. of my work is to acknowledge that decolonization starts with saying that there is both an external and an internal world to decolonize from. I always have this belief that our revolutionists today are those who started their revolution within knowing that they're not subhuman, knowing that they're not a commodity or a resource to capitalism, to the colonizer, and say that I am actually, no, I am worthy mm of service, of goodness, of pleasure. And I do not have to fight or I do not have to work so hard to get to that point. I have innate dignity and I don't need another person, especially a white person's approval to believe that. Oh, wow. <laughs> I am like drinking this in. So tell me where you're at right now. You're in Seattle. I'm in Seattle right now. And mm-hmm. in your master's program right now, I know that you're finishing that up. So I am wrapping up my second master's degree, which is a master's in counseling psychology. The work that I intend to do is to 
offer clinical services to folks who are in marginalized and underrepresented groups. My first master's degree, which is to just set context as to why I'm doing the work that I'm doing, was on theology and culture. And I focused a lot on post-colonial theory and post-colonial trauma. And that was when I delved into the history of Philippine colonialism and how the effects of years and years, centuries of Mm -hmm. regime of occupation continue to affect us today, not just in the educational sense, but also psychological, spiritual, and so forth. So yeah, I might have like... Yeah. No, I love that. Just to Mm -hmm. kind of intro, I want to open up a few lines that I read from Mm -hmm. your poem, because I think this is just going to strike a chord and set the tone really for what we're going to be talking about. And it's called A Letter to My Descendants. Mm -hmm. And you said, in your own personal efforts of decolonizing your mind, body, spirit, and relationships, you would write letters to your ancestors and imagine mm-hmm. who they were and what they were like. What made you do that? And then mm-hmm. just so you know, I'm going to, to everybody, play a little portion of this spoken yeah. word. Yeah, I think part of the decolonization process is to have an imagination as to who we were before our colonizers came. I think that there's so much struggle that we went through for centuries, that there wasn't an opportunity and a space to even consider who we are and our identity, our collective and our individual identity. If you could just imagine like a group of people or a person who just has to keep surviving all the time, that there's no space and there's no moment for them to take and process, who am I? And so because my ancestors didn't get to do that. I suppose like the resistance that I feel, the grief that I feel right now in this loss of identity is not just my own, but also passed on. Like I feel like sometimes Mm -hmm. I feel like the tears that I cry when it comes to that hunger for identity, that hunger for freedom is also their own tears. And so I feel like now that we are to some extent, not entirely, to some extent, we are a little bit more liberated than our ancestors were. What is it like to offer a space to let them speak in some ways and for me to respond to them and to tell them that you have room? Because I am a huge believer that they are still here within me in my day-to-day life. So you would write letters to your ancestors and now this Mm -hmm. is a letter to your descendants. Important to note here, I'm going to play a few lines of this beautiful poem, and the whole poem can be found in the show notes. To my descendants, my spiritual and maybe my biological ones, my every breath, word, and act is meant to say this louder. Enough is enough. With my life, may I plant seeds by telling the truth to the ones who went before you, and to the things that are now around you. And while we are on the topic of what you might have inherited, may you, unlike me, never have to wear secondhand shoes and shirts, and never have to say secondhand words. And may you, unlike me, never ever be abandoned. But if ever that you do, may you never ever abandon you. May you never inherit my scar and instead choose and love who you will become and who you already are. And yes, I say, enough is enough. Yet love bids for more. 
Love is not only concerned about the things we could be free from, but also what we could be free for. May you hear these words at a time when we have already taken care of the things you could be free from. And because love demands for more, I hope all you wonder today is what your freedom is now and finally for. <laughs> wow. May you never inherit my scar and instead choose and love who you will become and who you already are. And that is, it just hit me, <laughs> like broke me when I read that because it really brought out the rejection of the self. Mm-hmm. Like, may you choose you and may you have never abandoned you. Right. And it kind of brought me back to like, just even as a little girl. Mm, wow. I think a lot of us are just, we're, we're looking to always taught little ways to reject ourselves and never really understand um, mm-hmm. who we are without all the westernization, without all the influence, without all the beauty standards, without all mm-hmm. um, the history that we're never taught. Yeah. I just want to went into this phrase. Mm-hmm. Love is not only concerned about the things we could be free from, but mm-hmm. also what we could be free, free for. for. Yeah. Because love demands for more. I mm-hmm. hope you all wonder today is what your freedom is now and finally Final for. Can we just down really quick? Yeah, for sure. So as we enter into a time where social justice activists are in some ways like louder, I mean, they've always been there. They've always been present, right? In media, in the streets and whatnot. Now in particular, I've been noticing a lot of the goodness of the revolution. One thing that I did notice, it just felt like there was something that was missing a little on my end at least. And that there was a lot of focus around the oppressor. There was a lot of focus Mm -hmm. around the systemic injustice. And while there should be a lot of attention that's given to them in knowing who we're trying to expose and contend, to put pressure on and to challenge, I feel like even in that process, we tend to forget our own humanity because we've invested so much time and energy and money and Freedom is costly, but I feel like freedom is not just a matter of like examining the, and I say this metaphorically, examining the textures of your chains or examining like how hard they are that you have to break free from it. But you have to like see the path that's also ahead. Our goal in life is not just, well, not goal. I don't want to, I don't like using the word goal because the journey (laughs) is not really linear, (laughs) but the hope, the hope is that we rehumanize ourselves again. And I feel like whenever we talk about decolonization even and liberation, I feel like we talk around us still. We talk more mm-hmm. about the oppressive the forces. Exactly. Who's oppressing us, yeah. Mm-hmm. And our narratives of being the stranger, of being the And once foreigner. again, we forget ourselves. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Wow, that's crazy how even in the work of, say, activism or mm-hmm. dismantling, dismantling, like yeah. institutionalized races or things like mm-hmm. that, we are still not mm-hmm. really acknowledging ourselves. Right, right. So what have we not come home to yet about mm. our own history, about wow. our own identities? So Okay. <laughs> no, that's how I feel when I see yeah. your work oh, and what you, you do. It's kind of in our blood sometimes to yeah. still feel that oppression, mm-hmm. uh, the colonization. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, I'm desperate to just start unpackaging like mm-hmm. what happened in our history. Like who were yeah. we before the colonizers came? What can I hold to that's been un 
tainted. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the untainted Filipina? Like, I want to know. <laughs> like, anyways, I'm going to get into that. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing and what really brought you to this work? Yeah. So I was born and raised in the Philippines. I was in Los Banos Laguna and I actually love Crystal that you there you go, that yeah. your family's also from Laguna. Laguna. <laughs> I'm a Provinciana. <laughs> Los Banos is like the land of where there's the best bukopai <laughs> and mm. Espasol, hot spring resorts, education, activism combined, where the University of the Philippines resides. I know that we have a lot of UPs throughout yep. the country, but that was one of the, the larger entities. There are rice fields and it's close enough and far away enough from the city or from Manila. I loved it there entirely. And I didn't think that I would ever leave. When I was young, I kind of wanted to make a commitment that <laughs> that I just wanted to stay in Los Banos. In terms of like getting into this type of work, I think the combination of my exposure to activists in UPLB and being a descendant of activists, I came from a lineage of educators, of folks who were at People Power. I think my mom was there. My grandma was a spy during World War II for, you know, for our our country. Yeah. And so the combination of like that being in our DNA and my exposure to people who love justice in UPLB and wanted to use their education, it kind of incited the desire in me to pursue freedom to contend and to expose political corruption in the Philippines, which to me was the root cause of poverty, of the fact that I cannot go to a neighborhood without seeing a street kid. And that bothered and haunted me with the accumulation of all those experiences and the stories that I heard from my mom and from my dad. It made me want to First, well, I started as a musician. I was a singer and songwriter and I did it professionally. So I wanted to deliver the message of freedom through my repertoire, through my music. Although, to be honest, even though I wanted to be an activist in my music, I did write more love songs. (laughs) Of course. We're just romantics, you know? Exactly. (laughs) Fantasizing my love story through (laughs) in form of music. Mm -hmm. I love it. No, it's... And also her songs, if you have the chance to listen, I'm going to link it. It's so beautiful. Um, Can I actually read a line really quick? Absolutely. Today, we still find a way to be seen, to be safe and tell the world we've always had a name and a place. And I love this part. We didn't need to have to be this strong. We shouldn't need to have to be this strong. Like, Mm. okay. Thank you for your lyrics. Oh, thank you for reading it. There's something special about somebody else reading it, especially if I know that, that it's a fellow Filipina. There's something really mm. divine about it. So thank you for this moment. You're welcome. I didn't realize I can have a divine outfit. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, so yeah, part of my story is that I had so much pride in wanting to just stay in the Philippines while everybody else, it felt like everybody else wanted out. Everybody else wanted to, and I can understand that. Like we are, the Philippines had economic struggles and People don't want to have to face the anxiety of, and I know that the classes there are all different, but I saw that the majority of the time there are people who didn't want to stay in our own home. And so I paid attention to that. I paid attention to the fact that people wanted to leave. I paid attention to the fact that people 
didn't give recognition to local artists. Instead, if you turn the FM radio on, you would hear more contemporary pop American Mm -hmm. music. I remember my dad opening up a local business, which is kind of like his version of a blockbuster. And majority of his films were American. And I was very much exposed to American movies, which makes sense of my accent right now. People always tell me that, Gabe's, why is it that you don't have like a hint of the Filipino accent when you were you know, born and raised there. Oh, right. You sound like, right. so American. <laughs> gosh. Oh my gosh. It's like, yeah, it, it's annoying. Um, yeah. <laughs> but even in that story, even in the fact that I chose to like embrace the American accent, I started to inspect a little bit of this fascination, this superiority that we place on American or white culture that every time that we had a friend from America who is white, who comes to our town, who comes to the Philippines. People are just so in awe. (laughs) And that to me was like, uh, he or she or they are celebrity factor. Exactly. And I've even heard stories where people would ask to take pictures with them. Yeah. And so, (sighs) and then you see that the tourism business is now thriving because foreigners would come in and, I feel like the only time that I see Filipinos, like, I mean, here's the thing. We Filipinos are very, very hospitable. Yeah. And that is something that I'm really, really proud of. What I noticed is that if there is a foreign or a white person coming in for dinner, that's when all the fanciest shit come out. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And it bothered me a little. And even in the realm of spirituality, we were just talking about spirituality, where even the music in churches, we would sing songs that are also from from Western contexts. We would revere devotions from America, even though I had no idea what it was talking about. (laughs) One of the things that made me struggle about my faith was when I was reading an American devotional, I thought that I wasn't Christian enough. I thought that I wasn't doing a good job of being a follower of God because I could not connect with what the devotional was addressing. And I know that can um, be a little uncomfortable for some of us who would particularly consider themselves as Christian. But then, but then I would challenge that too. (laughs) And we will probably delve into this further later, but to consider that colonizers actually used Christianity, Roman Catholicism, yeah. and Protestantism to as their most powerful tools to conquer. It wasn't for our benefit. It wasn't for our spirituality, but for their advancement. So and power. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've probably done a lot of studying and looking back at this, but for mm-hmm. someone listening who, who actually doesn't truly know the history of where we were before colonization and when that happened and and what that did, you said manifesting into so many different parts, ideologies, like Mm -hmm. cultures, languages, everything. Can you give as best as you can an abridged (laughs) historical uh, history, (laughs) historical history on the the Philippines? (laughs) Sorry. No, it's all good. Um, I just feel like it, it kind of gives context to a lot of oh, us who haven't really searched that far you. back yet. No, you are good. You are so good. So before <laughs> the early 1500s, 
here's the thing that's really sad about our records or our historical records is that it's either that we don't have a lot of records. We do have artifacts of pre-colonial Philippines, but in terms of like actual documentation, it's either it's very little or sanitized or I'll get into like how historical literature was set up against us too. But but basically before the early 1500s, there was the Tao tribe, which is pre-colonial time. What people assume around colonization that we're going to debunk this myth is that the reason why colonization took place is because a community or a country, more particularly our archipelago country, had no sense of civilization, had no culture. We were primitive. We were savage. We didn't know enough. But what's false about that is that we already had a thriving culture. We were excellent at trade. It makes me want to cry just thinking about it. Mm. Uh, we already had our systems of spirituality. We already had names for our gods. There is the god of the moon, which is the same god as women and fertility. If ever that I have kids, I actually plan on naming my child. If they're female, name them. I think it's Mayari. That's mm. her name. And what's beautiful, too, is that there are gods that are gender fluid and who, I guess, like, in pre-colonial time, we already had like a sense of sexuality and gender that I think it's called the Tairai um, tradition, where when you reach adolescent years, and I could be wrong, I'm open to corrections because we have a lot of like resources that would speak into this. But the Tairai is the tradition where adolescents would make a decision about what their sexuality is and what their gender identity is. So people were already given like a space and an opportunity to name and acknowledge in the context of community who they are and that that's already like acceptable. I feel like the gender neutrality is reflective of our own language, which mm. is gender neutral. Like we don't have he, she pronouns. Mm -hmm. We just have it all gender neutral. Wow. I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. That it could date back to what our, I guess, our belief system and culture was like. Yeah. And the duality of gender that happened yeah. post colonist or during colonization. Mm -hmm. Then, so just to give context, we were flourishing. We shared our stories through song and dance. We were already creative. That was our version it of the karaoke. <laughs> exactly. We I were, feel like uh -huh. I always think about how these little uh, forms of expression now are just coming out because oh it's really gosh, like no. rooted back to like what we were like. <laughs> it is us. As indigenous people. <laughs> We are vibrant in our storytelling. Yeah. There's movement, there's song. I just want us to be proud of us. That again, the whole like, we don't need anybody else's confirmation in order to know that we are beautiful, that we are vibrant and we are brilliant. Again, we were excellent at trade because we had good relations with our neighboring countries. Of course we did. <laughs> we know how to share. Of course. We were probably sending them like boats of food and they're like, no. And they're oh, like, yeah. take it. Oh. <laughs> it's like our form of like putting things in the containers after the parties and like That's forcing people to take it. <laughs> and we'll like, save oh our Tupperware. <laughs> yeah, we're just replicating what we were already doing oh. intercontinentally. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like getting shivers just thinking about this oh and God. sharing this with you. <laughs> I'm too. so happy. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And then by 1521, that's when the Magellan expedition took place. And Ferdinand Magellan is, and his troops are like the first Spanish colonizers that set foot 
by the island shores and exposed the Tao tribe to Spanish culture. And just to give context, Tao means humans. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's also like a lot of value with how our pre-colonial tribes were named. This is also the time when we first resisted, and that was when Lapu-Lapu killed Magellan. But unfortunately, even though we've resisted, and I say this in a lot of like stories around colonization, that we were vulnerable because of at the face of weaponry. Unfortunately, there's a lot of like countries and communities that didn't have like the same advanced weaponry that a lot of the European countries had already had. Right. So, Which is probably the same story for a lot of other countries. Exactly. You know. Just to give y'all a reference, there's a really great stand uh, up by Trevor Noah. There's like mm. a segment of his show, Are You Afraid of the Dark, where he kind of like reimagines how the British took over India. And it's a funny monologue, but it also makes sense that that the moment that the British colonizer fires their gun, that's when the Indian said you know, take it, take it all. Wow. Yeah. What? Sorry, but like what pussy? Like they literally just didn't even use their own weaponry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't even like, who's the stronger man? Like, or no, not at all. No, it, it makes sense right now too with white supremacy and white fragility where policies and laws are yeah. used against the marginalized, the the racially marginalized black and brown people, that's like the ammo or that's the weapon that's used against us. The same with Christianity, like people, the moment that you say that there's a supreme being out there, we're on our knees. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This supreme being controls the weather, like has control over our protection and provision that will immediately get people to start rethinking and start submitting so there's a lot oh, of power. A powerful mm. tool. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Exactly. And so Spanish rule happened about 1570. There's a revolution that took place in like the late 1800s by Andres Bonifacio. So in the late 1800s, the U.S. declares war on Spain and eventually the Spanish army surrendered to the U.S. And this is when American imperialism happened. So we're done with Spanish regime and then entered into another form of occupation, which is mm-hmm. American colonization. Some people would say that certain scholars would say that it's easier, quote unquote, to submit to American imperialism because one, it wasn't as violent as it was in, in Spanish rule. And second, the Philippines was already like really vulnerable, really, really vulnerable that any rule that's quote unquote lighter than the violence that they've experienced in Spanish rule, they'll they'll take it. You know, it's like survival. They'll just take whatever they could have. And it was like 300. It was like, exactly like the lesser evil. It's like 377 years, 377 Mm -hmm. years of empire. And so the Americans come to the Philippines at the Philippines most vulnerable saying that we will Christianize you. We will civilize you. And it's another way of saying we will brainwash you, which is insidious, which is still, although not physically or outwardly, even that is like questionable. Like there's still that desire for conquest, for power and for, and to like plant their flag on not just our land, but also our brains. They knew 
you have to control the mind. Exactly. exactly. And the understanding of the individual identity. Like once you can really like manipulate that and take control of that, they got they got our country too. <laughs> exactly. And that's when our internal hierarchy of human dignity started, where there's this assumption where the white American or the white person is at the top. And we, as the brown folks, as the Filipino folks, are at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And since then, it just permeated and pervaded and was passed on behaviorally and psychologically. And recently, we well, not recently, but for the past few years, Psychologists have now done research on how people who have histories of trauma or their ancestors have trauma, like trauma can get passed down through your DNA. It started with the Holocaust survivors when their descendants started having dreams that were similar to that of their ancestors. Like so maybe about like three, four generations down, they had the same exact dreams as their ancestors. Oh. I got chills. Mm -hmm. And so that's when the study started. And that's when we started, like, it's kind of like a moment of validity. You know, it's like, that makes sense. Yep. You know, and then people just started to rally and talk and research and engage. And which brings a lot of us, Filipino anthropologists, psychologists, brings us all into this discussion around, okay, what was passed on? What have we inherited? Yeah. And that's the intergenerational mm -hmm. trauma. Well, whatever followed was Spanish invasion, which actually I want to mention this. So during Spanish invasion, it's like one of the historical stories about us that were kept in the periphery that weren't talked about a lot. But during mm -hmm. World War II, we were going through Japanese occupation, and which is the most brutal and bloody mm -hmm. occupation that we've ever experienced. It was tragic and it was just horrific. During that time, the Holocaust was happening and we basically sheltered a lot of Jews. No. Because the Japanese and Germany have like an alliance at that time, when the Jews were like kept in Filipino homes, the Japanese would you know, like invade their homes and see, you know, who's there. They would look at the Jews' passports and see the swastikas on them. And that would give them the assumption that they're Germans. So instead of hurting or killing or violating the Jews, which they should be because of their alliance with Germany, they instead, whatchamacallit, instead they were, what's the term? Oh my gosh, I'm losing language. <laughs> <laughs> see, it's like my my... My Philippine, my Tagalog is yeah. coming out. <laughs> yeah. They attacked. Like, there you go. They attacked the Filipino family that's hosting them. <laughs> they attacked. I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it should, sorry. But it isn't. So I, I, was was like, Adam, like, I was waiting for some like <laughs> master's terminology. <laughs> <laughs> we should have been laughing like, in this attack. section. <laughs> This is great. Oh I, whatever. But, um, it's our birth language. No, no, not at all. So the Japanese would attack the Filipino family that's hosting the Jews, when in fact they should be, quote unquote, should be attacking the Jews. But instead, the Filipinos never outed the Jews and they were brutally beaten up. Well, this is why Filipinos don't need like visas now to go to Israel for at a certain time frame. 
because we were one of the no refugees. We were no we served way. as a refuge. My people. Yes. <laughs> yes. And in some ways, like I get why they protested. They get so beautiful. They mm-hmm. they're like, no, they they understand they brutality. understand oppression, brutality, mm-hmm. exclusion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was yeah. Talk about radical hospitality. Mm. That's mm, us. I love that. That is us. That's kind of, I would say, if there's a description of the of Filipinos, like radical hosp- hospitality. hospitality. Yeah. Mm. Ooh, love that. Okay, keep going. Oh, and then we earned our quote unquote freedom <laughs> in 1946 Yay. in June. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like we celebrate that enough? No. No, I feel like we I sometimes c- feel like we don't. We, we don't. I think we celebrate Christmas more. We're so, yeah. I feel like it's <laughs> totally. like six months a year. Yeah. Oh God, it starts Not early. Enough. Yeah. And I'm like, I know people here who celebrate like Fourth of July and Cinco de Mayo harder than than the, the uh, freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Independence uh, uh, Philippines Day. Independence Day, which is in a way, it's a triple layered. Yeah. <laughs> like freedom, which as I've read that there's still a lot of work to be done in just really freeing the Philippines. Right. And, and I think that warrants a whole other conversation. Absolutely. But yeah. And so here we are. Thank you for sharing all that. You're so that welcome. Was beautiful. That was fun. I, sad I, and fun. I feel like it's, it's sad and fun and it's, it's beautiful and tragic that it's who we are, right? Um, and also, everyone, can we just give a shout out to the fact that she was like, let me get my timeline really quick <laughs> across the room. Uh, like, that's something we should all have. I'm already thinking on like, my wall. I, no, beautiful. Like, we should all have, like, I'm thinking of creating like a content in, informational graphic that every Filipina mm. should be familiarized with and just be able to look out like an elevator speech or whatever <laughs> history. <laughs> Because he was like, we're not taught that. In, we're, we're taught such a very small part about our history. And even then, it's in relation to how we helped the American, mm-hmm. you know, like World War II pursuit. <laughs> and the fact that you began with, we were thriving. Mm-hmm. That made me so emotional and just mm-hmm. beside myself, like, what? We were? I don't even, I don't even think any of us know what that looked like and that we have something to be celebrated that's truly our own like we had tribes and we were thriving and we had our own I guess social economical structure everything so Gabe's has done some work in education around the self-inferiority mentality used against Filipinos historically to maintain a position of power and advantage what I want to unpackage even more was the inferiority complex of the Filipina specifically the intersectionality of being Filipino and a female inheriting those layers and still being resilient ultimately what was womanhood for the Filipina before colonization and I just love this listen in I think you said something like when we think about what actually belongs to us, we don't just see very little, but we see how much Western has kind of created the inferiority complex mm-hmm. and then have normalized a different set of beauties. Mm-hmm. And so what are those layers that she experiences? And then how do we go to understanding these other standards and then reclaiming mm-hmm. our own our own as the Panay? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. Womanhood in pre-colonial Philippines was fierce, fierce 
and tender at once, creative, and I keep using the word vibrant, but it makes sense why it keeps coming up. She is vibrant. She knows how to take up space and knows how to be hospitable enough to welcome everybody else. I was wow. reading, and this will be part of the show notes, but um, I was reading today um, some research that Filipina feminist scholars have been engaging with around how Pinais have been silenced and have been, the words that they use were, they were taken out of the pulpit or the teaching platform, particularly by Roman Catholicism, insisting that there should be this hierarchy of leadership that males ought to dominate and that women have to submit and how even today, like we hear that all the time, like the the husband mm-hmm. is the man of the house or the man is the leader of the family, which is, yeah, I'm, tr- yeah, I'm trying oh, to, I could, I could see you trying to put words into the complexity. Yeah. Cause that, I yeah. don't, cause at the same time, it's like, I don't want to villainize men. Cause I feel like toxic masculinity has set up men to be the dominating harmful figures that they are too. Like, I feel like there's a lot of fear and insecurity that's projected that does create harmful ways of engaging with women, of inferiorizing women. But I guess like, I just want to tell the Filipina today is that maganda ka. <laughs> mm. You're beautiful and you're worthy yeah. as you are. And wow. that. We have spent so much time thinking about how much space we're taking up, but really we're not taking up enough and there's enough room in the table. It's just Mm. a matter of like seeing and acknowledging in the context of community and knowing your innate dignity, unchangeable worth that you can sit on that table and are worthy to enjoy that meal and that you can speak up, you know? I That was poetry. Oh my god. <laughs> Thank you. I, that was beautiful. I, I keep talking about how I keep talking about this table and I did my my master's thesis for my first master's on hospitality and colonialism. And at the end of my presentation, I talked about how we always assume that we are made for the table to set it up, to mm. make the food. You know, it brings us joy. Let me just acknowledge that. It brings us joy. (laughs) But oftentimes we forget that we are not made for the table, but instead the table is made for us. For us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. And so what is it like to reclaim in light of that, in light of the fact that our ancestor, our woman ancestors, knew their dignity, resisted, Mm. were tender and kind and fierce all at once. All at the same time. That is just beautiful. I love that you answered that with starting off, and I should have asked this, but what it what was womanhood pre-colonialism? What was womanhood and the Filipina? And because I think a lot of the work of just reconciliation mm. and restoring dignity mm. comes like it starts it, I mean, mm-hmm. it's really like coming home to what yeah, we always were. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. So it's so powerful to hear this is what we were all along, you know, and, you know, what was womanhood before she was all those things. Mm. And that is just so 
first of all, it makes me really emotional <laughs> because no one ever tells you that. Like you don't grow Aww. up being told like this is mm. what, oh my God, I'm really crying. <laughs> it's okay. Tears are welcome. There's strength in tears. Yeah. It's just, mm. you know, it starts to make sense. And I think we were saying this, like it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like we just had to really believe this is Mm-hmm. The woman, the women that we were all along and yes. strong and fierce and hospitable and able to be empathetic. And that right. makes sense because sometimes you wonder like, I'm not these versions of a woman. I'm not, you know, but I am empathetic and I am hospitable and I am still strong and I am still, I want my dignity and it's, it's been, it's there. It's in the <laughs> yeah, and I want to also like emphasize that to be able to submit and to serve and to also offer space is not a colonial imprint. The, mm-hmm. the colonialism in that is when it's taken advantage of. Yeah. When wow. it is manipulated, when it is violated, when it's no longer consensual, when it's no longer mutual, where the power is no longer shared and agency is not given to the person. No. You still can, you know, offer offer yourself, sacrifice for yourself within Mm -hmm. your terms, within your pace, within your choice, within your ways. Yeah. So we can embrace our love of serving and our love of being a helper and seeing that's still strong Mm -hmm. and not um, like look down on it until it becomes in the form of how colonialism, our oppressors took advantage of it. What immediately comes to mind is how a lot of Filipinos, you know, the stereotype of being nurses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but I also don't want to look down on that because no. the will and the persistence and the true care of a nurse mm-hmm. is so like, oh, that's hard. It's like, <laughs> but it comes so naturally yeah. from Filipinos to to want to do that and do it well mm-hmm. and just to treat their patients like family. Like it again, a, a manifestation of something that was from uh-huh. generations ago uh-huh. to the modern. Aha, uh-huh. be proud. Be proud of that be position. Of yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you're doing work to really show effects of historical and oppressive conquest that continue to manifest yeah. in Melissa's ideologies, cultures, languages, literature, human behaviors, <laughs> interpersonal relationships. Also that like, ooh, I see that interpersonal relationships for sure. Oh my gosh. And spiritual practices today. That is a lot. That means that these, the conquest, I guess, mm-hmm. has been passed down in little ways through the DNA or, and it's manifesting through generations. It's manifesting in all these facets. Mm-hmm. Um, can you choose one and give an example of that tangible manifestation, whether it's interpersonal relationships or mm-hmm. how it's passed down in ideologies? Yeah. I will start with saying with just our very names, that wow. is a colonial imprint. Like my name is Gabriel. That's my full name, Gabriel Torres. And Gabriel has European origins and Torres is Spanish for towers. The very name of our country is in honor of King Philip II, the Philippines. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing your last name too has like Spanish. I'm looking at your last name right now here in the platform that we're using, and I'm pretty sure that that also has Spanish roots. So that's what I think about how the effects of colonialism have been so normalized that we haven't really taken. It's so normal that we can't tell that we're in it. 
Mm-hmm. It's like fish can't tell that they're in water. Yep. And so it's so hard to pause and critique because everybody's saying it, everybody's doing it, everybody has taken it or everybody's yeah. like practicing it. Yeah. It's just so normalized. How does the Filipina begin to acknowledge and like, how, what did you do with that? Like it can become a little like, oh, like when you, your eyes are open a little and you see the manifestations of colonialism on your name or on standards of beauty or just, yeah, you know, the role that we're supposed to play within the structure, you know, things like that. What do you, what does she do with that? One of the things that I find really important in the decolonization process is that there's a difference between reclaiming your womanhood, your identity. There's a difference between that and in rejecting what you have used or what you have learned in order to survive. People think that decolonizing means rejecting the tools, the language, the the things of the master, the things of the white Mm -hmm. man. But if we are to use that same strategy that our colonizers used in the first place, then it's the same tool. Yeah. If we continue to, I am Gabe's and who Gabe's is today does speak English. I can't just, (laughs) I can't just like relearn our (laughs) pre-colonial language in order for me to survive. And in order for me to acclimate, I actually have to like communicate with people. Of course, there's an aspect in which we have to reimagine, in which we have to do our research and know who we were when it was just us. But it doesn't mean that we have to continuously like reject who we've already become, because I feel like that's going to reinforce the rejection Mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. And so for the Filipina... What is it like to be present with all that you are right now and not have to cast yeah. judgment, not have to say that, oh, no, that was yeah. that's very American. I think yeah. that there's also like a shaming that's happening, particularly Filipino American cultures where um, people would like Filipinos would tell each other that, oh, that's so pute or that's so American or like jokingly even say yeah. it like you have betrayed us. But yo, yeah. y'all grew up here, you know, like yeah, you part of you yeah. is part of your identity. Exactly. It can't be taken out. No. And mm-hmm. yeah, there is. Yeah. Like we can't keep, like we just can't keep shaming on like all these layers of identity. It's like, what? No. <laughs> you have to come to a point and be proud of mm-hmm. all that we are. And like you said, the, who you are in the present. Yeah. Um, and we tend to, even within our own community, like Filipinos tend to do that. And we got to stop. We mm-hmm. just got to stop. Like, stop yeah. You know, what is Filipino? What is being Filipino enough, like what is the Americanized Filipino? It, it's all Filipino. It's all, we all have bore these pains and struggles, but a lot of the resilience from it and, you know, how we've all, a lot of us have immigrated and how a lot of us have, mm-hmm. have adapted. gone thriving and adapted, you know, and that's all part of who we are. So I want to kind of, you know, close out on a few things here, which when I say close out, I really mean that this could still be a long time. <laughs> I'm open to it. I'm enjoying it. We take our time. We're Islanders. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So even that thing, I'm like, right? I, like the, the whole concept of just like time and rushing and need to be needing to be succinct and like whatever right. happened to the flow. No, yeah, being, being of the moment. Yeah, formality, yeah. whatever. <laughs> like Islanders, I'm like, what? Like they don't look like they're Google Doc. No, other Google calendars. <laughs> So I just feel like sometimes we look at these histories mm-hmm. of the you know Filipino history, and we talk a lot about struggle and a lot about uh, the generational you know, colonization and imperialization. I think even that can have an effect sometimes on how we identify our history and like I 
acknowledging where there is beauty and where there is power and where there is things to be proud of. So like taking into account all the struggle and all the obstacles and the struggle that we've been through, like what else is in our blood that we can be proud of? Like what Mm. can we look at and say that that's notable, that's beautiful about us. This, our story isn't just about getting through and surviving and struggling. Like what is something we could truly look at and be proud of mm-hmm. and inspired by from yeah, our own history. I love that. I love, love, love that. I love that we create beauty and flavor <laughs> and color yeah. and vibrant festivities out of suffering that we can still, like just thinking about the historical around like us welcoming Jews during the Holocaust, even in the midst of our brutality, like we have welcomed them with open arms. I think we are creative. We are hospitable. We welcome so intently with so much diligence. We are really good with, I think I already mentioned flavor, but we're already, we're so good with food. Oh my gosh, (laughs) y'all. Flavor and garlic and meat. (laughs) (laughs) We are funny and we, here's the thing that I am really proud of us. One thing that I noticed, so I just went to this newly launched or newly opened Filipino restaurant here in Seattle. And, and Seattle is kind of like known for its, for the Seattle freeze, which is another way of saying that people are a little awkward socially and people don't really like have like an immediate connection. It takes a minute before people do. When I got to the restaurant, which is called Musang, and for those of you who are in Seattle, please check it out. The flavors are so loyal to the everyday homemade Filipino food that we have. So it's delicious. So when I got there, when I met the the folks who are Filipino, there's this immediate connection as if we've already connected before or that we already have context. We are so good with relationships. We are so proficient with knowing and reading social cues and detecting emotional needs. That's why a lot of us- And And emotional intelligence. Yes, (laughs) yes. And here's the thing too, like this is why I love doing the work that I do is because if we can thrive in our emotion, like us picking up an emotional needs of others, if we are able to detect and honor our own, Can you imagine how much we would flourish as a community if we can honor our individuality in light of our boundaries, our limitations, which are completely human things, while also honoring our sense of solidarity in a community if we hold individuality as much as we hold being a collective? Mm -hmm. It's just beautiful how much we can grow, how much we can grow together. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, so... That's where my mind went <laughs> with what we could be proud of. So good. Oh, and we sing really well. <laughs> oh, too. Hello. Everyone can sing. <laughs> not just like, a, it's, like it's not an exaggeration. <laughs> it's not like everyone loves to sing and can sing really well. I just, mm-hmm. Along with that, all those beautiful things. I think the Filipina has to keep that so close to her heart and remember that. It's the unique thing that we bring and that was not taken away from us over all these generations. Mm-hmm. Those factors that you just said persisted. And I think they're coming out in these beautiful expressions mm-hmm. and forms of advocacy and, and careers and businesses and ideas mm-hmm. now um, because we're in a place 
a lot of us, not all of us, but those of us privileged enough are in a place where we have resources to start manifesting them. So thank you for that. I think to a Filipina listening, Mm -hmm. let's say, what are three tangible steps that she can take to really start one, maybe exploring her own roots and coming home to the self, like really honoring the individuality and just starting that journey, which can start like looking at history, looking at one's own set of emotions and (laughs) like, what are, what are some steps that one Mm -hmm. can take to begin that journey? Yeah. um, One thing that came to mind, and I want to address this specifically to the Filipina who had to go through years of internalizing this social construct around what it means to be beautiful, which is to have lighter skin, to have a bridged nose instead of a broad one, to have, I don't know, like straight long hair, basically to look more white. I want to tell you right now that again, maganda ka. You are beautiful Mm. as you are. And there is like tangible or pragmatic ways to process that. I think it does feel right to grieve that, to grieve how you felt rejected for looking the way that you are, that you naturally are. You can grieve you know, in solitude. And again, there's a difference between isolation and solitude because solitude still, you still have like the ability to return to a community. You can grieve in the context of friends that whom you trust and who love you and who look after you. You can grieve by um, doing what I've been doing. And that is to write letters to mm-hmm. not just my descendants and my ancestors, but I also write love notes to myself. I would often, in in my therapy work, I often try to find ways in which I engage with clients and wonder what the needs of that younger self was. What were the wounds of that younger self? And how can we be that person or maybe even that parent, that caregiver that that younger self needed? Because Believe it or not, that younger self is still in you. We are a multiplicity of selves and that five-year-old, that 10-year-old is still there. So what is it like to engage with them, to think that they're, they are listening to you and to approach them with kindness and to approach them with compassion and to tell them, you know, maganda ka and matalino ka or magaling ka or you, yeah, just... And it's not just for the sake of like showering them with compliments. Yeah. But yeah, it's not this like the present society's way of like, No, yeah. Yeah. It's um it's letting them cry. <laughs> it's letting them express what they needed to express, but then they got in trouble for expressing it because it seemed like they were throwing a fit or they were throwing a, you know, a tantrum. So I want to emphasize on the grieving process of what was lost. And in terms of reclaiming that this one's a complex thing because I'm mindful of those who are, you know, living here in America, living in the Philippines and it's different for everybody. I think Crystal you, you addressed a really good point around like reengaging with our history. And in doing so, I would encourage you to be mindful of how you engage with the literature because there are certain historical 
records that say that colonization was good. It was the golden age, some resources would say. Okay. And they would say that because they're under the assumption that they were civilized because of the Americans or because of the Spanish. So be careful. Be careful of the resources that you engage with. Again, I will be sharing a lot sure. of content. <laughs> yeah, a list of resources that you can engage with. Listen to Filipino music. Ruby Ibarra is a really good hip hop artist who's brilliant and who shares her glory and her suffering in metaphor and, yeah. and rap and hip hop. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. And, and also your music, eh? <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I have right now. That's what I'm thinking. Um, I encourage everyone listening Find something day by day that feels true to the reclaiming process Mm -hmm. that, you know, whether it's like you said, understanding, uh, like grieving Mm -hmm. beauty and then like looking at yourself in the mirror and really feeling so in love with all Mm -hmm. your natural forms of Filipino beauty. I have to do that sometimes and be like, this is my skin color. This is my you know, like this is what my face angles look like. This, this mm. is it, and this is yes who we are, and this is beautiful. Mm. That's a, a small practice I had to take on, just because mm-hmm. there's so much like etching now of the look to be this other thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just kind of like looking at the natural forms and and falling back in love with that. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. One other um, thing too that I do. One one last thing I, I just remembered. There's this practice called mindfulness and meditation. <laughs> That, that really helps you. Well, I, I'm just saying in general, like mindfulness and meditation are really helpful. Part of the uh, of what colonialism has inflicted upon us is that the message that it brings is that we are a commodity or a resource to be used by the colonizer for their advancement. And in some ways that has been passed on through perfectionism and getting A's and being useful and being like the most hardworking immigrant ever. And that's true, right? But at the same time, it's like, well, at the end of the day, who's tired? At the end of the day, who is benefiting more versus who pays more, you know, or who invests more? So mindfulness helps with our unconscious tendencies to cast judgment. It helps you to notice and pay attention to the present moment. It helps you to just say that feeling of shame, that feeling of guilt, that feeling of dread is just there. And it helps you befriend Mm -hmm natural human feelings. Um, There's this app called Liberate app that I would love to, yeah, I love to, and I can, again, show notes, (laughs) but Liberate app is a good place to start. It is made by and for black, indigenous, and people of color communities. That is very particular to our experiences as POCs here in North America. So I would highly recommend that. Right. I am totally downloading that after. Thank you for the resources and um, giving these pointers of really like what we can turn to and what we can utilize. And I feel like there's just so much. Yeah. Like I'm kind of like at a loss of words because I feel like this whole conversation was even a journey for myself and I'm Mm, continually unpacking. So, so everything that you're putting out there, Gabes, Mm. it's going to be a first time here, like a first time listen. I think for a lot of people and just liberating in its own way. What I usually like to end with is 
if you had a message to send to all Filipino women, what would it be? And so you've already said Maganaka. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else you wanted to leave? A last message you wanted to mm-hmm. close with? Right. I, I guess like, and I say this with a lot of hope and a lot of faith that one day we will be free. And I am committed to dedicate my work, my personhood, my friendships to, I feel like this is full circle about the whole descendants thing, that I intend to plant a legacy of creating like a world where our descendants are no longer concerned about the things that they could be free from, but what they could be free for. And I hope that in your path, in your vocation, in your professionalism, in your friendships, in your alone time, in your music and creativity, may you also consider how you're planting those seeds and how you would nurture and grow those seeds and think about the people who would, um, who would benefit from and be nourished by its fruit because woman you make good fruit <laughs> mm. delicious and nourishing yes. and nutritious fruit just oh. as you are love that oh can i print that out and make that a quote on my desk yes quote. i'm gonna make Share it with that me <laughs> yes I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. I mean, like I have learned so much on this call. Oh, <laughs> and Crystal, yeah. I, I think the work you're doing is you're doing work that's freeing a lot of us. So oh, thank you. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you for making that possible. Thank you for being kind, like not nice or polite, but kind. <laughs> it's like substance kind human. I enjoyed this very, very, very much. And I feel like my love for our country, for us, has been so rekindled just talking to you and connecting with you. Thank you. To enjoy all of Gabe's content from her music, poetry, speaking engagements, musical performances, and other podcast interviews on the show notes is her website, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. And I can't wait to see you next time for the next Filipina on the Rise. Um, And I also leave with one last thing. Gabes, can you share us your favorite Filipino dish? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Are you kidding me? This is so hard. Ooh, sinigang. Sinigang na baboy. (laughs) 